Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. I'm Veronica Kravner, your host, and today I am super thrilled to have my friend and colleague, Bill Froelich, on the show to talk about reflective practice for mediators. So here's a little bit of information about Bill. So Bill is the Deputy Director of the Divided Community Project and the Langdon Fellow in Dispute Resolution at The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law where he teaches mediation, negotiation, and alternative dispute resolution. And he also manages Moritz's top-ranked program on dispute resolution. And I'll pretty much say, I think he is the perfect person to be talking about reflective practice today. He has trained and taught numerous mediators over the years. And Bill, hey, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so thrilled to have you on the Mediate.com podcast. Oh, Veronica, it's great to be here. Uh, great to be chatting with you. And I'll say I really appreciate this opportunity because uh, as uh, I'm, we're preparing for this podcast, I'm also preparing for uh, the semester. And so I'm reflecting on my own methods of teaching reflective practice. And you've uh, forced me to prepare a little bit more and be a little bit more intentional about uh, what I'm going to do in the classroom this semester with my students. So uh, they engage in reflective practice effectively and build reflective practice skills for not only their mediation practices, but also for their careers. Well, awesome. And yeah, I'm excited that we're doing this episode. Uh, so I'll have to share with our listeners. I mean, I, I've done a lot of debriefing, but the term reflective practice, that's actually newer for me. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to hear about it today. Uh, so why don't we, let's get to it. Um, why don't you talk to us? So what is reflective practice? Yeah, I think it's just an umbrella term for thinking about what you're doing in the mediation session, uh, either individually, self-reflection uh, with groups, uh, whether they're small in a debriefing con uh, process or a round table, or uh, just thinking critically about what's happening in, in the mediation context. So I think of reflective practice as an umbrella, which includes a lot of concepts and ideas. So for new mediators, Reflective practice presents an opportunity to build confidence, to think about what worked well in the mediation, to develop new ideas for their mediator's toolbox. Uh, so thinking about what, what they might do differently, thinking about a different way to get to the same or a better solution in a mediation process, <clears throat> and methods for understanding the mediation framework they're working in, whether they're beginning their practice as a um, facilitative or transformative mediator. For emerging mediators, mediators who have you know, a few mediators under their belt, uh, but are really uh, beginning their mediation practice, reflective practice presents an opportunity to challenge assumptions. Did they ask a particular question in a way that enhances self-determination of the parties? Did they ask a particular question in a way that really uh, holds neutrality out as a core value of mediation, if that's a value they're emphasizing? and to reflect critically on the core values that mean the most to them uh, in the mediation session. For seasoned mediators, like you, Veronica, uh, it's an opportunity to uh, think about how to, how to collaborate with colleagues and learn from colleagues, to think about how you made and why you made a particular decision to address complacency. Perhaps you're getting um, stale, you think you're getting stale in your practice, or, or maybe you're not noticing that. I'm not saying that you are by any means, but um, We've all known 
mediators who have done the same same thing for uh, years, and that's the way they do it. But maybe that way just isn't uh, the most effective way anymore. So reflective practice is an opportunity to uh, help people consider new ways of doing things, more creative concepts. And finally, for seasoned mediators or, or those who are skilled in reflective practice, it's an opportunity for them to consider their role as mediators, particularly in court-connected mediations for delivering access to justice. Are they providing access to justice, access to mediation services in a way that is equitable, or are they operating in a system that's designed by um, uh, old white men decades ago for the benefit of old white men? Um, so that's the umbrella of why it's important for three sets of mediators new mediators, emerging mediators, and seasoned ones. And there are a bunch of methods. You could do journaling. You could do debriefing. You could have facilitated conversations like roundtables. But there are so many other ways to engage in reflective practice. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, the, the word that sort of kept coming to mind uh, hearing you talk about reflective practice is really mindfulness, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'll share with our audience. So in addition to mediating, I love to meditate, <laughs> right? And and, um, and that's really the word that would that comes to mind hearing you talk about all this is just being aware of uh, not only what you're doing in a mediation, but why you're doing it and just sort of having this orientation, it sounds like towards lifelong learning, right? Um, always being open to continuous improvement and realizing that you know, if you're, it sounds like if you're not trying to continuously improve, then you just run the risk of becoming complacent and falling into certain trends and doing things just because that's the way you've always done it. And it sounds like reflective practice really kind of helps break you out of that, right? Absolutely. And I love this, uh, uh, you pulling on mindfulness, uh, because I, I, those of us who train mediators and, and work with mediators regularly, Remind them to be present, to be not just listening to what the parties have to say, but to be present, to feel their words, feel their emotion, not to think about the next question, um, but to stay in the moment and be reacting to what the parties are saying in the mediation session. And exactly to know what they're doing in a mediation session and why they made that choice. And reflective practice is an opportunity to consider why mediators made those choices and to improve upon those choices in the mediation session. Uh, so, so I really appreciate that, that connection to mindfulness and meditation. There, there is so much value uh, from my perspective in, um, uh, in reflective practice. And it, 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 it's not just about advancing yourself as a mediator, but you might use reflective practice in other contexts. Um, and also, I'll just point out that there's been a lot of, there's been some writing recently, and I know that so many of us are, are suffering from COVID uh, burnout. Um, there's so much stress involved with COVID. There's so much secondary trauma that people pick up as mediators. And frankly, reflective practice is an opportunity to uh, develop uh, peer support uh, to think critically about what we're doing and how to break through uh, some of that burnout as mediators. So there are really great benefits to reflective practice uh, uh, as mediators. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, I, I think mediation, and I think you and I have talked about this before, Bill. I mean, mediation is one of those fields. It can be kind of lonely, right? I mean, it's pretty rare that you have more than one mediator in the same room. And, you know, unlike other fields, like, for example, you know, Bill, you and I are both attorneys. We both previously practiced before doing mediation work. I mean, I think back to my time as an attorney, I worked at a firm, I was around lots of other attorneys. If I had a question about, you know, some research I was trying to do or a case I was working on, I could just, you know, walk next door uh, pre-COVID and pop into someone's office and have a conversation. But, you know, from what I've seen so far in my experience in mediation, I mean, it tends to be a pretty solitary profession. So, I mean, I can, I can definitely relate to like feelings of burnout and um, I know Bill, you and I have talked about that. I mean, I'll share with our listeners, like I've had a period of time as a mediator where I was mediating, you know, multiple cases a day, every day, day after day after day. And I'm the type of mediator that I really pick up on people's energy in a room pre-COVID, right? Um, good or bad and, or, or you know, whatever that may be. And um, I mean, there was a period of time, like it, it, like those emotions could really get to me. So, I mean, I could definitely see how um, reflective practice could really help with that. And I mean, another term I remember hearing about too is, is compassion fatigue. I mean, you mentioned secondary mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've also heard about compassion fatigue as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on secondary trauma or compassion fatigue, but I'll note that uh, there's a, a great article about mediator burnout out there uh, by Lydia Nussbaum, who's at UNLB, UNLB from 2018. Uh, and I think it, it, it's uh, really smart of her to put that article out there in 2018, pre-COVID, where people are more stressed out and more burned out uh, in their lives now. But she discusses uh, some of uh, some of the science behind burnout, uh, some of the, the concerns that, that, that mediators have in getting burnout, and then suggests some ideas uh, and uh, to break through that burnout, uh, and one of the couple of the problems she points out with respect and with respect to mediator burnout and why mediators end up uh, getting burned out is because they have a lack of supervisory and a lack of peer support. Um, courts, you know, as a court-connected mediator, uh, whether it's stated or not, uh, I'm sure that many court-connected mediators face pressure to help uh, their administrators and judges clear dockets. And they face pressure because there's only so much time in the day um, to get that work done quickly. Uh, and reflective practice is that opportunity to uh, get that peer support, to find support and connect and work through problems and challenges, whether uh, it's one of those challenges might be, I'm bringing home so much of the party's emotion. How do I disconnect that? Uh, how do I disconnect that? from my personal life, how do I disconnect my personal from professional life? Getting support from experienced mediators, asking them to think through strategies for disconnecting those emotions may be one great value of engaging in a peer uh, reflective practice group uh, or uh, just one-on-one debriefing conversations with a close close colleague or friend. Uh, so there are a lot of values to reflective practice and um, it's, practice we, we want to encourage all the listeners to, to engage in to improve their mediation skill set uh, and to think critically about what they're doing in the mediation session and their role in the justice system. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so, you know, as you were mentioning that, I was kind of thinking back on my own experiences in debriefing. And I think where I have found the most value out of it is when, um, you know, I have been in a group with more experienced mediators. And I think I spent time sort of asking them questions about how they did their mediations to see if there was any sort of tip or technique that I could replicate in future mediations. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more when you do reflective practice, how do you do it? How do you set it up? Yeah, so there's there's a number of ways. And, and I have the privilege to work with students here at Ohio State on a regular basis uh, and take them to court and supervise their mediations. But um, I have a long leash when I supervise. Um, I let, we train our students uh, uh, in a, a weekend uh, long training then provide additional training at the beginning of the semester. And they're ready to mediate their first cases. And my primary role with students is to have a debriefing conversation with them. And those debriefing conversations at first, they're as constructive as possible because we know that, that new mediators need support. They need to build their confidence. Uh, in, the media, in the mediation practice. So I asked them a couple of simple questions at the, after the first debriefs. First is, how do you feel having completed your first mediation with live parties? How do you feel? Some of them say, oh my God, so relieved. Uh, some of them say, I'm still stressed out. Others say, oh my gosh, I felt the tension. I felt the pressure a particular far party, was, party was facing. I ask them, of course, what worked well in this mediation session? Sometimes they say very little worked well, uh, but I highlight many of the issues with them in one-on-one -on -one or very small group conversations that they did effectively. And then I ask them to, to consider what they would do differently. And when a mediator is starting out, there's a lot they want to do differently. They want to set an agenda differently. They want to frame issues differently. They want to ask questions differently. In reflective practice conversations, are effective because they get to they get to talk through those with someone preferably with more experience or potentially a co-mediator. So when they say, well, I want to set the agenda differently on a three three issue agenda, I uh, I'll then ask them, okay, go ahead, pretend I'm the party. Do it. And the students occasionally look at me and, and say, what really? And I say, yep, this is your opportunity. Try it again. And they're so much more effective when they're doing it with me but it gives them one more opportunity to practice that. So I encourage folks to get concrete and reflective practice. And that's regardless of whether they're working and having conversations or potentially they're journaling about what worked well, what they might do better and how they can improve in future mediation sessions. I also uh, do reflective practice and, and training sessions with uh, uh, more advanced mediators. That reflective practice might look like setting up a scenario like we're about to do in a little bit and then unpacking ideas. Just like you suggested at this mediator roundtable, uh, I usually uh, ask uh, mediators to present a scenario they encountered in the mediation and then we workshop it and talk about, okay, what, what are some of the challenges that the mediators are facing in this session? How would you break through these challenges? What are some of the techniques that you would encounter? And then we might even practice those techniques. I might ask the participants in that, that uh, conversation to actually uh, pretend they're saying something to mock parties in the mediation uh, and then react to it. Sometimes I've set up those sessions so that 
the mediator, or if there are co-mediators, like pretend you and I are co-mediators in the case, Veronica, then you and I would then play the role of the parties uh, in that reflective practice session, in that um, uh, conversation where we're addressing difficult issues. So we'd have the participants, the other participants in that conversation, uh, play the role of the mediator, and you and I would react just like the parties would uh, in this difficult situation uh, for a mediator. And that's an opportunity to give folks uh, as realistic a, a possible in a low-risk environment uh, an opportunity to test out their skills and reflect on how to improve them. Well, yeah, I mean, and you really do. I mean, this is a skill that you really learn by doing. And um, one thing you mentioned right at the, the outset that I really wanted to highlight for our audience is I really loved how the first thing that you ask your mediators is after mediation is how do you feel? And I thought that's such a great question because, you know, I think of mediation as really being a helping profession, right? We're so focused on how do our parties feel um, that it can easy, it can be easy to just sort of forget about yourself as the mediator. And so I love that that's how you start is asking the mediators, how do they feel? That's awesome. Yeah. And I think if we're not thinking about ourselves and taking care of our own emotions, that we can't truly hone in and focus on supporting other parties and their emotions. You know, we're not therapists <laughs> by any means, but uh, we still need to try to be in tune with what's happening with us internally. Uh, so we can understand where we're coming from when we're making observations about um, party verbal and nonverbal cues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, should we should we get to our should we get to our role playing in our episode, Bill? <laughs> should oh, we man. do our hypo? I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So you're going to play the role of uh, a mediator who's just mediated a challenging case, and I'm going to walk you through a conversation of reflective practice, right? Yep, absolutely. And I'm excited about this because I think it's been a little bit. So, um, so right. yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so I'll kind of I'll give the background for our listeners. Um, Okay, so I call this hypo as a, a, a friends and money dispute, right? Or former friends. Got Usually it. by the time Got that it. I'm seeing these types of disputes, they're former friends. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's between um, Sue and Jane. So Sue is an African-American woman and Jane is a white woman. And Sue's perspective is that she lent Jane $1,000, uh, her former roommate, her former friend, and that this was to pay for Jane's share of rent and utilities for a month while Jane uh, was unemployed. And from Jane's perspective, this was not a loan. Uh, it was either a gift or it was just reimbursement for all the other years that you know, Jane had you know, paid her share of pizza and whatever else, right? Um, so that's sort of some background and uh, and yeah, I guess I'll let you, I'll let you guide me, Bill. So what's, what's the first step in this? Yeah. So Veronica, I, I understand uh, that, that you were, you were able to reach a, a settlement in this case. So I just want to congratulate you on not just reaching a settlement, but helping a party, helping the parties uh, hopefully resolve um, one lingering concern that they had in their lives. Um, so that, that you did something to really help out the parties uh, today. How are you feeling about the mediation process and the outcome of this mediation? Yeah, so um, I feel pretty emotionally spent. 
Um, so this mediation, it took place over three different sessions, at three different periods of time. So, I mean, we started on, tele on the telephone and we did the first session that way, second session by telephone, and then the third session was in person. So all in all, I mean, probably spent somewhere between like six to eight hours over the span of, you know, about three weeks on this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty spent at this point. I mean, obviously I, I feel good that I was able to help the parties, but just kind of, you know, emotionally, like I said at the beginning, I tend to be the type of mediator that I really pick up on people's energy. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I could use a break. Yeah, well, Veronica, you had to take care, make sure you take care of yourself uh, this afternoon um, and take a little time to, to re reflect, relax, and, and repair, reestablish your emotional reserves. You have spent a ton of time on this, and clearly I've done a great service to the party. So um, just make sure you take care a little bit of, of, your, of yourself a little bit uh, sometime later today. I, um, I wonder, it sounds like you you got to a settlement here and uh, it, you spent a lot of time with them. So I'm sure you did a lot really effectively. Can you tell me, uh, uh, give me one or two concrete examples about what worked well in this mediation session? Yeah, so um, I started, uh, so I, I did something that's sort of, that's contrary to what I remember learning in my basic mediation training. Um, so I remember in my basic training, you know, I was taught to typically start parties in joint session and then uh, caucus once things start to go you know, off the rails. Uh, but what I did from the very beginning when I did my intro, you know, I, I asked participants if they were comfortable being in joint session with one another. And I do that prep part, separate conversations. And so the feedback I got was um, one party was okay being in the same room and the other did not. And then I also, since I got that background of how uh, they were former friends, um, something had happened to end the friendship, I figured it would just be best to start in caucus. So I think that really helped. And then um, one thing in particular I wanna, I wanna point out that I, I think was kind of the turning point in the mediation was when we were at the trading proposals phase. So, um, you know, Sue had made it clear at the outset that, you know, she wanted this $1,000 back and she was not going to accept anything less. But, you know, Jane was on the complete opposite end. I mean, she didn't think she owed anything, but at one point she made a settlement offer of um, $500, you know, right in the middle just to sort of end this and, and move on. And so I still had the parties in caucus. And so what I did was when I went back to Sue, I just, I told her at the outset, I said, you know, um, hey, Jane has made a proposal. Um, it is significantly less than what you want. And I know at the outset, you said you're not willing to accept anything less than the full $1,000. So um, I'm more than happy to share it with you, but uh, I just, I don't want to run the risk of offending you. you know, would you like for me to share the, the details of the proposal with you? And uh, I, I think it really helped that I asked for her permission first. And so then I shared with her like, hey, it's $500. You know, she could pay the $500 within a week to resolve this in full. And then the other thing I did um, 
because we had already been sort of doing this in stages, you know, this was the second session, I said to her, I said, hey, and if you, if you don't want to decide right now, what we can do is, you know, we can just end the session for today and schedule another session, maybe a week from now, and give you time to think about it. And so I think kind of the combination of uh, getting her permission to share that proposal that was significantly less kind of helped things a little bit and then maybe also offering to do another session so that she didn't have to decide right then and there if she was going to accept or decline the proposal yeah i want to commend you for uh those two points permission and time and space is what i wrote in my notes as i was thinking thinking about uh, uh this part of your mediation that asking permission uh to see if she Wants to, wants to hear a subsequent offer when she's already drawn a line in the sand. I think that's really valuable. It highlights that this is her process to make her own choices. You're really emphasizing self-determination there. And then by giving her the time and space uh, to, consider, uh, to consider that offer, you're doing the same. You're not, you're not uh, prodding her to say, look, this mediation ends in 10 minutes uh, and you need to make a decision now. You're giving her the opportunity to think critically, to make a more informed decision, perhaps to consult someone uh, that she trusts about whether she should accept that offer. I also appreciate how you highlight uh, in, in your screening process uh, uh, or doing your opening separately. I'm not sure if it's part of your screening process about their comfort in the mediation session, how the parties want to proceed, not just with respect to substance, but also with the process of the mediation. So uh, if this were a debriefing session, I would ask uh, Veronica to say more. Uh, about why she made some of these choices, specifically, you know, what, say more about why part, one party was uncomfortable. What did you notice about their dif- discomfort in making that uh, decision to start in caucus? I might ask Veronica uh, to to say more about how uh, about the trading pro- proposal pro- process and ask her to dig in about what didn't. Was there anything that didn't work at first that she might do differently in the future? I might ask her to to say if there were other ways that. Ask her to dig into the details of what she said when she asked permission uh, to share a subsequent proposal with uh, with Sue, uh, who really wanted that one thousand dollars, and perhaps consider some of the wording and how it uh, um, in, enhanced the neutrality of of her work as the mediator, or or reflected in the neutrality of her work as a mediator, or uh, empowered the party to make their own choice. But typically in a uh, a reflective practice session like this one. I also asked Veronica to tell me a little bit about, well, Veronica, you've done so much so well and effectively in this mediation. What might you do differently? Yeah. And I was, I was thinking about that. So, um, one thing I did, so we came back for the third session and and this was pre COVID. So parties came back in person and we talked about, Those are the days. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, but so we were in person, I brought them, we were in joint session. I brought them both into the room because in between the second and third session, Sue had called me and said, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and accept that $500 proposal just to resolve this and move on. I'm ready to do that. So basically that third session was scheduled just as time to, um, draft the agreement and have parties review and sign off on it. And so I, you know, I, I brought them into the same room because I figured, well, okay, we've already reached agreement. And then I left the room because I did not have my computer in the same room 
which note to self, I should always just bring my computer or a pad <laughs> or pen and paper into the room with parties and not leave them by themselves, but I left them by themselves. And I was gone for probably 15, 20 minutes preparing the agreement. Mm. And now that I look back, I think to myself, you know, I probably should not have left them <laughs> alone in the room by themselves, just because given the circumstances, I mean, they had already reached agreement at that point, but you know, they're, they're former friends. Um, right. So there was obviously something going on that made them former friends rather than current friends. And really I, with not having me or like a co-mediator in there, I just, I ran the risk that they could have gotten into some sort of argument and the whole agreement could have just unraveled right then and there. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something that I think, you know, I would never do again, <laughs> right? Absolutely, and, and obviously there's a huge difference when you're in the room uh, with the parties uh, in a joint session like that and when you're not in the room. Um, when you're there, there's some, some grounding effect uh, that the parties typically, you know, or might defer to you or look to you, or, or maybe if they're talking, uh, in a constructive way, you just let them keep keep chatting uh, as they see fit. Uh, so it's clear that uh, there are um, uh, you next time around when you're drafting an agreement like this that you'll um, uh, have a different strategy uh, when you bring them back together, or maybe you'll have them in the same rooms the whole time. Again, we might dig in uh, to other details uh, about what took place, or ask if there are other other issues that Veronica wants to do differently. I'm going to flip the script, Veronica, if you don't mind for a minute, and I'm going to take over your mediator role in this hypothetical. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Just go to ahead. think about about one issue uh, that I want to raise uh, from 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 my perspective, uh, and I know this is a hypothetical. So, as a white male mediator, when I am mediating uh, a case between uh, another white party and a non-white party, I try to make sure I am more in tune with every process choice that I am making. So in this particular case, Sue told us she wasn't moving off that $1,000. But here I am as a white guy coming with a proposal from a white woman back into the room in uh, caucus to say, Sue, here it is, $500 or I, I guess you'll have to go to court, right? And you framed it, of course, so much more nicely than that. But the point I'm trying to stress here is that we should also be considering uh, how race plays a role in this context. Sue, after all, is in this court-connected mediation system in a conflict with Jane. She may not be familiar with the court system. She may be uncomfortable with the court system. As a minority female, she may be uh, uncomfortable um, with the justice system generally, whether that's a, a broad characterization or or uh, police uh, in general, and just having to go through security to get through a court-connected mediation office. She might feel as if I, as a white male, am just part of the system. Uh, and I've worked with Jane to come up this, with this proposal behind her back in caucus. And now I'm asking her to consider it, to resolve the case as if it's her only option. Otherwise she has to go to court to another unfamiliar process um, where uh, she might might be uncomfortable. But I just ask all of you in the audience to think critically as you reflect on your own mediation practice about your place um, in the mediation process. 
like me, are you a, a white male in a system that was designed by white males decades ago? Or uh, are you making sure that we are empowering, lifting up the voice of um, non-white non voices and letting them make choices for themselves in a way that's meaningful, in a way where there's no pressure, in a way where there's equity? Uh, I hope that all of us as mediators have the opportunity to reflect on race uh, in the systems that we work in, uh, particularly in light of the, the last uh, 18 months here in America. And I think that reflective practice is one way uh, to do that, to reflect on race. Uh, and we'll post some guidance, uh, uh, a link to a couple of articles, one from uh, Leah Wing from 2008, another from Sharon Press and Ellen Deason that just came out in uh, 2021 uh, on race and whiteness in mediation uh, that might be valuable uh, as you consider your own uh, reflective practice uh, in, in mediation. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up, Bill. I mean, it's sort of, you know, we're talking about reflective practice. It's making me reflect back on my mediations. And so, you know, I'll share with our audience and I'll share with you because I'm not sure if you ever knew this, Bill, but um, I mean, I'm half Hispanic, but like I will say, I present as a white woman. Mm -hmm. So no one has ever guessed that about me. And it's just sort of making me think about like, what are things that I need to be aware of as a mediator? Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. um, and I, Veronica, so, yeah. we've known each other for five years. And until our prep session this morning, I, uh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah. That's part of the assumptions I'm bringing into the mediation as well. And, and that has certainly caused me to reflect on some of the assumptions that, that I'm making and the biases that I have. Um, so I appreciate you raising it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, um, yeah, I, I appreciate you, you know, bringing this up as well. And um, I'm definitely eager to, to read the articles that you mentioned. You bet. And I, I also recognize that um, race conversations for uh, a lot of folks aren't, aren't easy. And I hope we're all leaning into them more um, uh, because uh, there's a lot of work we all have to do on race and race equity uh, moving forward and, and perhaps uh, engaging in your own reflective practice and thinking uh, critically about the choices you're making uh, in the mediation session, particularly as they connect to race. Um, perhaps reflective practice is one way to help us get there. Absolutely. And uh, this is just sort of reminding me for any of our listeners, maybe if you didn't check out the first episode. So our very first episode featured our, our mutual friend, Bill Kwame Christian, mm -hmm. and he talked mm -hmm. about um, how mediators can can help facilitate uh, difficult conversations about race. And he talked about different techniques. So I mean, definitely, if you all haven't listened to that one, in addition to you know reading the articles that that we're going to link to at the end of this episode, definitely check out that episode as well. Um, but yeah, all this is all this is really good stuff, Bill. I mean, I think I, I'm definitely just in prepping for our episode and doing this episode. I feel like I've learned a lot, and I mean, it's made me more aware of just the value of reflective practice and how you know I need to incorporate that more and more um, because I think it's it's something that's easy. It's, at least for me, I think it's easy to sort of um, take that for granted, right? Like you get so used to in the day to day thinking about. The next mediation, the next mediation, the next mediation, that I think it can be easy to just forget to stop and take a breath and reflect a little bit and be mindful about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what are areas to improve. And 
I think, you know, this is really, for me at least, another remindful and another, another reminder um, to, to kind of keep that at the forefront of, of, you know, in terms of professional development, um, you know, avoiding burnout, just how important reflective practice is. Absolutely. And I know all of you mediators out there are so busy, particularly court-connected mediators are busy. You know, maybe you have four or six mediations a day. And to carve out this time uh, to think about what you did effectively, how to improve upon it, it could be so valuable, but it takes so much time. And unfortunately, uh, we're uh, our employers, and if you're billing out there, you probably can't bill for reflective practice. Uh, so uh, finding time and carving out the space is, is, can certainly be a challenge. But in the long run, we may all be able to improve our practice, whether it's by uh, making more efficient better effective choices that empower the parties or thinking critically about the role race is playing in our mediations. There's, I think there's a lot out there to be learned. And I'll tell you when I have these conversations from my students, I always pick up tips uh, uh, for my own mediation practice, even from the students who are mediating their second case. First case, I don't know. Second case, yes, <laughs> but perhaps not their first. Yeah, and that's another great point that, you know, the people who teach you may not always be people who are more experienced than you, right? Mm -hmm. That, mm -hmm. I mean, you have just as much to learn from someone who is new at mediation as you do with someone who has, you know, mediated thousands and thousands of cases over the last 20 years, right? Like, I think that's another good reminder to be, to be open to learning from, you know, all different Absolutely. types of situations, people from people who have different levels of experience, right? Yeah, I was uh, in one of the articles I was reading to, to prepare, uh, I was noticing that so many trainings are, okay, here's the six-step process or whatever your five, six, seven-step facilitator process is called, and um, do what this trainer does. They're the expert. Just do what the trainer does. But I think one thing that reflective practice allows to do is to think about what we and what others were doing and to think about what works for us. Because there's uh, so much that, um, you know, I think of my colleague Josh Stolberg, uh, or I think of uh, there's a great video, old video that I watch uh, where Michael Lewis, uh, Jams Mediator, mediates. Uh, and uh, man, they're good, but I can't do authentically what they can. And uh, reflective practice allows me to think through um, uh, what works for me uh, and hopefully. Uh, whoever I'm reflecting with uh, uh, as well, it also helps them build their own practice and get additional ideas. So I think when you're asking for to have a conversation, a small group conversation with someone, it's not just about unpacking your own mediation, but that other person is also learning about uh, uh, ideas and tools that, that they might use in the future in their mediation practice. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Bill, I think this this sounds like a good spot to wrap it up. Um, so I really I really appreciate you coming on the show today and um, taking time to talk to us about reflective practice, doing the hypo hypo doing the hypothetical with me, and uh, it's always great fun. I know we have collaborated on several occasions over the past several years, and it's always been great fun to collaborate with you, Bill. So um, once you again, I, I really I really appreciate you being on the show. Well, it's fun and thank you for sharing um, how you identify with respect to race and ethnicity and um, again learning something new and I, 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 I'm going to be thinking about thinking about that and I, I appreciate you sharing that publicly. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, and um, you know, if others want to connect with you, how can they do so? Yeah, you bet. Uh, my email is my last name dot twenty eight at osu.edu. Uh, and I'll also drop a link uh, that Veronica can post along with a couple of articles on uh, reflective practice or, or thinking critically about uh, our mediation practice. Uh, they can uh, link to the, uh, the Moritz Skaljewals program on dispute resolution, dispute resolution website or the Divided Community Projects website that's also housed at Ohio State. Uh, thanks a ton, Veronica. All right. Very cool. Very cool. All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.